0: So now I hear these words from Acts 12, 1 to 18. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, But earnest prayer for him was being made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and centuries before the door was guarding in the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went and followed him, he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda, came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed but motioning to them with his hand to be silent he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and he said tell these things to James and to the brothers then he departed and went to another place now when the day came there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. The word of the Lord for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. At least that's what they taught me when I went to Sunday school. In Durham, North Carolina, where I recently moved from, there's a quaint little playhouse called Man Bites Dog Theater that to say the least is not only an eye catcher but a conversation starter any day dog bites man is the dozen a penny story the usual somehow when i received the invitation to preach and pastor phil said you were in the book of acts and would be at chapter 12 this week i wanted to duck I wanted to use the get out of jail card because he had said Knox was not wedded to following acts and I could preach anything. Chapter 11 would have been fabulous, I thought. Preaching on chapter 12 to evangelicals who were receiving answers to prayer before Adam was made was like telling a dog-bites-man story to a people who tell dog tales for fun around the campfire. I'm a recovering evangelical, so I know how that goes. Testimonies about unsaid prayers are not new in Scripture. You might even say they were a dime a dozen. From Abraham to Moses, Hannah to even Jesus... Maybe you have had a testimony or two to share about unsaid prayer, some perhaps quite miraculous, even instantaneous. You prayed, one bam, pizzazz, and there it was. Usually you would chalk such answers to earnest and great faith, and it would be in order. After all, the scriptures tell us no less. We are to come asking boldly and expecting God to do amazing things or not come at all. No shilly shallying prayer would receive answers. We have been schooled to believe that. God is not in the business of listening to weak, faithless prayers. That is until you read. Acts 12, as we just heard. And you wonder. Perhaps, like me, you just thought it was business as usual. I've read that chapter several times. People pray, prayer gets answered, there's nothing to pause and wonder. And I have to tell you, I didn't even give it much thought. But for this assignment, to bring a message today. And then it felt like I was going down a rabbit hole with treasures hidden every corner. So, if you will, please pray with me as I attempt to share what the Spirit laid on my heart in hopes that we will be fed today and go home with leftovers. I like leftovers to
1: chew on for days. Shall we pray? Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus to reach out and touch him, and say that we love him. cause us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see
0: my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer, our saviour and friend. Amen. Acts 12 tells the story of a people who prayed and waited for the answer, but didn't believe the answer when it was literally staring them right in the face. I think that sometimes God is gentle with us by denying us answers to some prayers because it may be too much for us. We might die in shock, Rhoda could have on that day. A wicked ruler who has been hailed by wicked people and piling wickedness on wickedness on godly people had just received more accolades for killing a good man, a Christian man. He takes a needed break from such hard work and throws another in prison until he is well and ready to kill him as well. All for a few seconds glory from a crowd who really care nothing for him. So why did the early Christians tell us the story of their beginnings? Why did they include in their history what looks like a failed attempt at prayer? They didn't even need to tell the second part of the story, which shows them in quite a bad light. It seemed they were praying without believing by their own accounts left for us in the scriptures. They did not seem to have the basic prerequisite for prayer and answers to prayer. They didn't have the first ingredient to make prayer with results. Faith. And yet, in this seemingly lackluster story, we find perhaps the greatest insights to faith and prayer, and above all, life with God. I think the church learned these principles over time, and so when they put their history together, they decided to leave us the story. First principle, prayer is not so much about doing something as it is about being with someone. It is basically lap time with God. Curl up, put your head down. If you like, put your thumb in your mouth and go for it. A little girl was lost and wandered toward a church building. A cop found her with her head bowed, hands folded, in prayer pose, earnestly mumbling. When the cop got closer, He realized the child was merely saying the alphabets. Puzzled, he asked, what are you doing? Without missing a beat, the girl shushes him and says, praying. But that is not praying. That's just ABCs. That's all I know, says the little girl. I figure God can put the alphabets together and make a prayer out of the mouth of babes. That is it, people. That is it. Sometimes we think we are praying and piling words on words and building it in faith, and sometimes encouraging ourselves to believe. Not so. Not so at all. Paul tells us in Romans, we don't know what or how to pray. The Spirit himself prays for us in ways that we cannot begin to understand unless you speak spirit lingo. And that is why what happens or doesn't happen is not as important as that we have been in prayer. Not just by ourselves, but with the people of God. You have to forgive me, I have very tiny ears. And this was made for probably Caucasian ears. So have you read a book? Maybe I should lose this and go for that. And I'm going to use my school mom voice meanwhile. So have you read a book on prayer in the past or lately? Have you tried to follow so-called principles of prayer from prayer gurus? Doesn't Acts 12, 1 to 18 blow some of those tidy principles of prayer out of the water? Principles about how to get results from prayer as if we could by any stretch of the imagination Anticipate what God would do at any time as if God lived within our time frame. The disciples had gathered to pray not for things but for the sake of the release of one of them because he was their leader and was evangelizing left and right. Souls of humans were at stake. And this is something after God's own heart, after all. Peter had been contending for the faith, preaching and teaching and baptizing and helping to set the captives free. You are evangelicals, great commission that is. Like James who had been murdered before, he was only a prayer away from experiencing the same fate. Wait a minute. These same people had prayed and James was murdered. Why are they praying for another? Why would they be expecting a different result? Did they change prayer tactic? Now we may wonder why prayers for James were not answered and yet the church was in prayer for Peter. We may wonder why the prayer for Peter was answered, but that for James was not answered. And we may speculate all we want and never even get close to the answer because it's a nonsense question. One of my favorite theologians, C.S. Lewis, says it best and he goes something like this. Such questions and such pondering are above the pay grade of every Christian, every theologian, every pastor because they are nonsense questions. He says even the almighty couldn't answer such questions if you added an eternity plus to his years. Such questions when we come face to face with the God of love whom we've just sang about, sounds as off point as is yellow, round, or square. And how many miles are there in an hour? Off tangent, unrelated, unrelatable issues. And so we would be wise to leave those questions where they should be. Do we say trash bin here or dust bin? Ours is to continue to live with what we know, and this is the only thing we know. An invitation, a legacy to pray about everything and anything and an assurance that God would answer. How that answer looks like is a surprise every time. I hope you know that. And isn't it like God to bypass our needified faith and do above and beyond what our faint hearts and our fading lips matter every time? I know we have all heard the pray, claim, package, and move on preaching that abounds these days. And if it doesn't happen, it is because you didn't have faith enough. Sometimes we might even have scripture quoted as us to justify why the prayers didn't work. Even Jesus couldn't do much in certain towns because they had no faith, because of the unbelief. As if God has a one size fits all dispenser for prayers. So please don't listen to fake peddlers of miracle who require more faith for your prayers to be answered. The property of faith is not in its quantity, but in its quality. Not size, but character. And all the women with engagement rings, all that bling, at least know what I'm talking about. Cat, carrot, and all those Cs they say. I'm sure you have extensive examples of being shocked with an answer to prayer when it felt like you had not prayed any weighty prayers or prayed part believing, part hoping, but always trusting. I have such stories too. One day, my son's computer or laptop, they call it, was broken. It was Sunday morning. Monday morning, we had to go to school with a computer I go to my Presbyterian church, pastor encourages us to pray and believe God. It's end of service, pastor is praying final prayer, the Spirit says, get on your knees. I say, are you sure this is a Presbyterian church? We don't do that, Anglican, Catholic, I might, and it won't cause any problems. This is a Presbyterian church, are you aware? On your knees. I'm saying, God, church will soon be over. People will need to move through the pews. On your knees. So, if you know God at a point, you know that your choices are always yes and yes. So, I got on my knees. Praying, but wondering who is looking at me and wondering what is this fool woman doing on the floor. And so... I said, okay, God, you have like, you made the world in, I don't know how many days, but you have about 12 hours to find us a laptop. From church, I went to another friend who teaches at UNC, and in the midst of visiting, which was really just to pick up something I had left the two weeks prior, I mentioned the laptop issue and said, oh, I have one you can have. So between the church and that friend's house, it was 12 minutes, 12 hours, 12 minutes, same to God. But here is the story. Do you know that God answered that prayer two weeks before I prayed it? Two weeks before that prayer was answered. had oh, come working in my house and tripped the current or whatever these, those things and I couldn't push the I mean you guys know what I'm talking about you know you have to push the thing to bring well so my freezer was not working and occasionally if I have a little money left I would go buy uh, grass fed beef so I had some of this grass fed beef and I mean the chicken I buy from Whole Foods can go so I took my grass fed beef To keep in that uh, freezer while I figured out how to get the freezer to work. But the following day the freezer was working because somebody said, just press, there's a button on there that you should press and the lights will come back up. I didn't know that, so I did, and the freezer was working. But it took two weeks for me to go and gather my things. That is exactly what God needed to give me the answer. So now you understand what I'm saying about the fact that the prayer was answered two weeks before I prayed it. Try it. So sometimes you pray, and the answer comes just like that, 12 minutes. And then sometimes you pray, and it seems nothing is happening. You can't even get through. There you are praying for two friends with cancer, perhaps the same type of cancer. One dies, you keep praying for the other anyway, and the one lives. If that is you, my friend, you have faith enough. Ask anything, but most of all ask that the kingdom will come. In our day when the church has lost its credibility and its relevance, this might be the time to ask in earnest that the lord of the church will grant us faith faith enough to be credible witnesses again the spirit was working together with all of us i was far away in my house and you were here but the hymns and the prayers were leading to this point the story of Acts is the story of god making himself known through his people by miraculous signs and wonders in a culture where to talk about monotheism and to boldly declare that there is only one God who is the father of our Lord and Savior and brother Jesus was to talk nonsense. They did it anyway. God showed up, not always in the way they had assumed, but always. You have faith enough to do the same and to expect God to show up in the lives of the people to whom you witness. Ask anything. I'm not talking about material things like the people who think it is only in big material things that they can see the finger of God. As if God was a braggadocious potentate needing to prove his mettle. Any rich millionaire can give you a Bentley so you can go out and mention his name to friends and let him look good. I'm talking about the God who is so big. He can stoop low to your slightest need and that of the world without any effect on him. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have a God who will find me a needle and the right button and the right color thread in the nick of time when I'm rushing out of the door for an important meeting and notice a button missing on my blouse. Girls, please, raise your hands and prove me right. (laughs) The world is in need of a God like that. And we, we know, we know when. So friends, we are freshly out of excuses, according to Acts 12. We don't have to have our faith ducks all in a tidy row before God shows up and does amazing things. It matters only that you know. If he doesn't do it, it doesn't get done. You can't pray and have a backup plan. You can't pray, give us this day our daily bread, but rely ultimately on the few loonies to get food from the dollar menu at McDonald's. You can't pray thy kingdom come and not assume that you are not in a war zone and live anyhow, and not put on all the armor of God. You can pray for healing, and then think, if it doesn't work, then plan B, I will go to the hospital. I'm not saying we don't go to the hospital, I'm not a JW, or use medicines for cures. I'm saying, don't pray with an eye to if it doesn't work, if God doesn't come through. As if there is something or some power above or even below God that you can ultimately appeal to in time of need. It can never be God plus something else on top of it. It can't be God with something through which God will do such and such. Pastor Phil will explain that to you if I didn't quite get it. So it is God and God and God, period. But by all means, there will be moments of doubt in our journey and sometimes even while we pray. But these doubts have to occur within faith, not outside it. Let doubt make friends with faith. That is how we grow in the character of faith. Push, pull of faith and doubt. Like the way we build muscles in the gym. I don't go to the gym, so maybe I'm not doing it right. Tear up to strengthen, tear up, to strengthen. I hear that's how what happens. You know all the pain you get when you go to the gym is your muscles tearing, you know and then it tries to grow back, and then you go and do it again. Yes? The men are saying yes. <laughs> so doubt within faith is a friend of faith. And sometimes we think the tendency or the need is to ask for more faith so that we may pray right and more or even bigger prayers, we think is what we should be doing. And all of this asking for more faith is in good order because we want to live right and please God. Some of you may be asking for more faith, but unfortunately, That is not the way the scripture sees it. When the same Peter whom they prayed for and who was miraculously released from prison, when he grew up, he understood how faith works. And he encourages the church to maturity in these words. For this reason, I think it's 2 Peter 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement, you know vitamins, to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Nowhere are we told to multiply faith. No, we add things to strengthen the character of faith. And Peter could say that because he remembers Jesus said that. He was there when in the thick of things, and Jesus was teaching about the cost of discipleship. And the disciples were saying, "Pwe, pwe, pwe," as they would say in my holy village. This is too much. This is too much. They threw their arms in the air and said, God, if this is it, Jesus, you have to give us more faith. And Jesus politely, but surely said, you don't need more faith, actually you need more work. I'm not making this up. Here it is in the Gospel of Luke. I'm Presbyterian, I can't preach from one, one scripture passage. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. So this is Luke 17, 5 to 10. Increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly. Don't come in with your dirty clothes. And serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty? Work is how you build faith muscle. I didn't say that, your Lord said. Kingdom work takes the search for increased faith out of the equation. You come to seriously take mustard seed faith, imperceptibly tiny. Have you seen a mustard seed? Go to Bulk Ban and ask for mustard seed. You could even miss it, faith. Enough to do amazing things. Give us more faith. And go to work according to Jesus. Doesn't seem to make any sense. Very obtuse argument, it seems, until you think, oh, wait a minute. I am a servant. I don't have two loonies to wrap together unless master gives me. Clothes, sandals, health insurance, I've learned about O'Hip since I've been here. All of those things, I don't have it unless master gives me. All of it depends on master. So here it goes, as long as I'm working and my master has need of me, those things are covered, yes? So what do I need faith for? And what do I need more faith for? So I can go and get those things by myself? No. This is the V8 moment. You know that V8 ad where you hit your head and say, ah, I should have had V8. Suddenly you realize, but of course, of course, I don't need more faith. I just need to work. Pastor Phil will explain that to you later as well. (laughs) You have faith enough. You have signed up to work for the master. So go to work. So what is the work here for Knox? So permit me to take a stab at it and you may quarrel with your pastor again. This one I wrote in the sermon. You may quarrel with your master again. Uh, uh, your pastor again after. Sorry, that was not uh, intended. After the message, I'm new to these parts, but I think that I see something that gives pause to ponder, and rally for prayer, and ask for God to rent the heavens and descend to Toronto and Ontario. If I am right, just speaking about Presbyterian churches, it looks like this is the rest stop for God when he comes visiting other Presbyterian churches in the area. You can uh, pat yourselves on the back, no. This is the evangelical base of the church where we try to be bibliocentric, Christocentric and not fudge scripture. Each metropolis ought to have one of these. The church I belonged to in North Carolina was like that. It dubbed itself the evangelical witness in PC USA. Soon enough, however, it decided to take its little light and go add itself to more lights out there. To be with churches more like it, devotion to scripture and how they understood it. Why should that be? What is the need of light in more light? But then the question is, if there's so much light here, why is the rest of the church that you are part of one body, not like this. When I go to other churches, I could have a pew to myself each Sunday if I wanted. So why is only part of the body growing and not the rest? I think we're in trouble if that is the case. Where I come from, there is a disease called kashioko, where the stomach is large and every other part of the body is small. Despite the size of the stomach, visible for all to see, evidence of one being fed or taken in nourishment, the individual is severely malnourished. Nourishment doesn't travel through the rest of the body which is ailing while the protruding stomach seems to be announcing that it is sated. May this be us. How do we pass on nutrients to the rest of the body? Or is it the case that what looks like plenty of food is still perhaps empty? spiritual calories. Perhaps all this doesn't make sense. Perhaps for you it is easier to figure out what God is saying to you when you can place yourself in a story. We may be this character, this time we read, and another character, another day. As Rhoda, for instance, if that is who you think, are for the moment. We need to be seeing the answer. God is already fashioning for our prayers and running all over the place and pointing to it. The answer is here, I see it, I see it. People might think we are crazy but perhaps that is our gift in the body of Christ. We are the I and we don't need to back down. Keep telling us that you see something the rest of us don't see. And if that is you, you have faith enough. Keep telling us. We may think you're crazy, but keep telling us anyway. Perhaps you saw yourself as Peter, but there is more. Today, those in prison may be ourselves bound by unbelief caught between doubt and fear and hope and resignation, but God is able to put together a release package and bring us out and it will look to us like a dream. If that sounds like you, you have faith enough too. And you have people praying you through. But more than that, there are countless people who are in the sleep of death all around us, who need to be woken up by the clarion call of the gospel. And so may I suggest finally that we as a church are not just the praying church that prayed for Peter, but also the angel What he says to Peter is what the gospel does, isn't it? Wake up. He even gave him a hit on the side. I mean, I don't, the English says so, but if you read it in my holy language, it's probably booted him. So, whatever it takes. Put on your clothes, put on your sandals, follow me. There are many in prison of sin and brokenness. Who need to be jarred into waking up. And who need to be encouraged to put on the righteousness of Christ for clothing. And who need to put on their feet the gospel of peace as sandals. And walk out of prison as though in a dream. That is a measure of grace, isn't it? And let them go and tell their testimony. And say, see. This is what God has done. I am free. And let the world gape and not believe, but we know. Church, you have faith enough. And God is looking
1: to you. So pray on. For you are who the Lord is looking for. Pray on, for this will tear the mighty strongholds down. Stay on your knees, for this is where the battle is won. And there's no better place for you to be than seeking the Father prayerfully. Very soon you'll see the victory. Pray on.